pen and uh, get started this morning. Um, uh, it's nice to see so many of you here. I didn't know how it would all work out when when I sent the email out. It looked like it's going to be a lot worse, and I'm glad it wasn't. So um, anyway, we're going to go ahead and get started. We are looking uh, once again at the divine institutions. We're still looking at the first one, which is volition, the freedom to choose. And so before we begin, we're going to choose to take a few moments for prayer and get ourselves ready to study the Word of God. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, again, we're so blessed and honored and privileged to be called your kids father we uh, certainly didn't earn it or deserve it and yet by your grace you designed an amazing plan that uh, fallen creatures could come to you simply by faith in in your son father it's an amazing plan it's a simple plan the evil one tries to complicate it and make it confusing but it's really very simple father we come together today to learn about this divine institution of volition, that which you set up and established, that gave us the ability to make decisions along with the responsibility for the decisions we make. So may we learn more about it, that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we ask it in his name, amen. Well, we are at looking at this uh, increment of true freedom, and we've been down under uh, volition and looking at different elements of volition since we uh, began this study. Uh, true freedom is responsible to, to God. Now, what is true freedom? Because wherever, wherever you find a spiritual truth, you're going to find a counterfeit. And people have come to believe, some of them, a lot of them, sadly, that if you have any restraints put on you whatsoever by any form of authority, that then you are not truly free. Well, you're free to make decisions, you're free to go against that authority, and you're also responsible to bear the consequences of, of those particular decisions. So if we're going to look at what real freedom is about, which God has established, we want to look and, and realize that there are rules, there are things that go with uh, freedom because freedom has responsibility to it. True freedom is responsible to God. Last week we saw that um, the key principle you're, you're free to make any decision you want to all of, all of mankind, humanity before the living but you are responsible for these decisions we looked at Genesis 2 this is where the, the Lord told Adam you see those trees out there I want you to eat from all of them except this one all of them except this one and he says, because if you eat from that one, then dying, you're going to die. You're going to die twice. You'll die spiritually, and you'll die physically if you do that. Joshua 24, as Joshua, they've gone into the land. They've taken the land. They've, they, the, the Jews have their uh, portions, if you will. And he says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's a lot that goes with that particular statement because he is the spiritual leader of his family said this is what we're going to do we're going to honor we're going to serve the lord the key principle behind that now humanity has the freedom to make any decision that it, it desires 
about people, places, things, and events. You can wear whatever color socks you want to wear. You can mix and match socks. You can do all kinds of crazy things. Uh, people, places, things, or events. You have the freedom to do that. But not without consequences. The Galatians passage is about sowing and reaping. Whatsoever man sows, so shall he reap. You sow corruption, you'll reap corruption. That's just the way it works. You sow good, you're going to reap good. And then we're exhorted several times in Scripture not to grow weary and lose heart, that we, that we don't receive that which the Lord would like for us to have. And then we have the slavery, the sin nature, transmitted to all humanity, from Adam except for Jesus the Messiah and it has to be broken by faith to live a life pleasing to the Lord see we we think we're <clears throat> born free um, seem like there ought to be there's a song about that um, as a matter of fact but uh, humanity we're not really born free we are born slaves to the sin nature that we receive from Adam. Now we're free to make decisions, but we, have, we are enslaved by what we choose to follow, who we choose to worship. And it has to be broken by faith. We looked at passages in Romans that talked about that and how we are slaves to this thing called the sin nature that resides within our bodies. Now, true freedom. Let's look at what the Bible says about true freedom, real freedom, what it's about, what it is designed to do. Now, first of all, true freedom is more about the souls of mankind than the physical environment in which they live. More about the souls of mankind than the physical environment in which they live. That takes a little while to sink in because most people look at things like slavery and they're able to identify it things that have gone on uh, since the <laughs> the beginning parts of the history of the world on this side of the flood I mean you can track slavery all the way back in ancient Sumer that's people enslaved other people and <clears throat> but slavery that's that's what people normally think about it but it's more about an issue of the soul uh, it's a spiritual issue because there are people who have been so completely involved in slavery, yet they're free. They're, they're free to, to come in front of the Lord. They're, they're maybe not free to perform certain actions or do certain actions, but their souls are free. Brings to mind a time in um, Vietnam a long time ago when I went to visit in 97, and uh, after they recently opened the country back up, and we met with, uh, I call them kids, they, they look like kids. And of course, the older I get, the more everybody looks like kids. But the, um, these kids had all spent time in jail. And they had spent time in jail because they worshiped the Lord too loudly from the place in which they were worshiping. They would sing songs and lift up praise to the Lord. And all of them had spent at least 30 days in jail because of doing that. One of the leaders had spent two or three years in jail for uh, leading such a rebellious act in a communist country. That's what communism does. It doesn't like religion unless it, it can control it. But see, these kids, in spite of, in a sense, being enslaved by the country in which they lived, they were free. 
They were free in their souls. They, they loved the Lord their God. They were not held captive in that regard. So slavery is more about the souls of mankind than the phys physical environment in which they live. And that's really hard, hard to grasp. People can be totally free in a society of anarchy and be slaves to their sin nature be run by their sin nature and that's a worse slavery in a lot of ways than than what happens at, at times to the to the body now slave true freedom is needed by all of creation because all of creation is enslaved to corruption this is from Romans chapter 8 and this is where we find our our uh, words freedom Liberty. This is, this is where the Bible places them, and it does so to teach us a category, to teach us how to put things together and get some, get some uh, reason to it in a way that gives us some wisdom in how we see life and approach life and uh, deal with it. Romans chapter 8, verse 20, For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the freedom itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption. Notice the creation has a slavery to corruption, running downhill. You could say the law of entropy. Things run from order to disorder. That's what happened. And this is part of the curse that, that occurred. He says, we set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now... <laughs> What does he want set free? What, what is it saying? We're slaves to corruption until we're set free into the freedom and the glory of who? The children of God. How do you become a child of God? By faith in the Son. By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's broken at that point. For now we know the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. See, the whole creation that it's talking about here is literally universal. That there, is a, that there is a deterioration going on in the entire creation. And it says it's, it's groaning, it's suffering the pains of childbirth together until now. Not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we've been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we did not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. It is saying that one of these days we're going to get a new body. This new body is not going to wear out, not going to deteriorate. It's going to be able to see the Lord exactly as, it, as he is in his unveiled, hypostatic union, all of his glory. We can't, well, we can't look on him now. Our eyes are not made for it. Our body's not made to withstand it. So he said, okay, I'm going to give you a new body so you can do that. 1 John 3 is where that's found. And it, it's very clear about what's saying. Real freedom is needed to be set free because it's enslaved to corruption. This freedom is needed. Now, real freedom, true freedom, is grounded by being pardoned from the law of sin and death. Here's Romans 8, 2. <clears throat> Uh, you can't do 8-2 without 8-1, which says, <laughs> There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, King James adds another phrase after that. It's not borne out by textual uh, uh, 
authority. It, it, it says for those who, it, I'm not going there if I can help it. It's a copyist error from the third verse that they put back in the first verse and got transmitted in through the majority text and brought into the King James for those who care. Now, <clears throat> it should be, there's no condemnation Katakrima, eternal condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, period. That's where that phrase should end. Then it says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free, who's the you, those who have believed in, in the Son, from the law of sin and death. See, it's broken. This corruption is broken at the point of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this true freedom that we have as Christians, as believers, it starts whenever we are born again. That's whenever this slavery to corruption is broken. This true freedom is only discerned through the Word of God. That means that you can come to understand what it is. Because, like, like I said, many people think that true freedom is the ability to do anything and everything that they want without consequences. That's where the problem comes in. You, you're free to choose anything you want to choose. But there are consequences to decisions. We've heard it said that there are consequences to elections. Well, that starts with the fact there are consequences to decisions because people decide in some countries who to vote for. It's only discerned through the Word of God. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. This is one of those passages that's actually emblazoned in concrete on a lot of universities. And it's interesting, he says, Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews <coughs> who had believed him... <coughs> If you abide in my word. See, notice that if clause. You abide in whose word? His word, the Lord's word. If you abide in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. <clears throat> to abide is much more than just being a student learning information. <clears throat> it means that's where you live. You've learned it and you're living it. If you abide in it, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself, and that's what guides your whole life. You're abiding in his word. You abide in my word. Then you're truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth. See the if clause for knowing the truth? Because you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, set you free. That's an issue of discernment. And the discernment comes from abiding in his word, learning what his word has to say, learning how to compare scripture with scripture, gaining wisdom in the process. Now, it's only discerned through the word of God. You learn what it is, and you realize, you come to realize, right at the core of this is no one can serve two masters. And the Lord taught that directly. Nobody can serve two masters. You're going to hate the one, love the other one, or love the one, hate the other one. You, nobody can serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon, he says, God and money. You can't serve those two different masters. You have to choose who you will serve this day. 
True freedom is only appropriated through Jesus the Messiah. It's only appropriated through Jesus the Messiah. Going on down, see, we just had John 8, 31, 32, and you shall know the truth and it shall make you free. 8, 36, if therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Real freedom, true freedom. Freedom that has discernment and understands what is going on in this world. That true freedom comes from the Son. So people that are seeking it, people that seek freedom, and they seek to do it apart from the Lord God Almighty and His Son, Jesus Christ, they're just, they're just jousting at windmills. They're not going to get, they're not going to uh, be able to really live this freedom and enjoy it. This true freedom is unveiled by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 3, isn't it amazing when you start looking up the word freedom and you let the Bible teach you what it has to say about freedom? Isn't it amazing what it says? Because here is 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is. But we all... With unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same glory, image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. We want to be conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. How does that happen? Through the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit has to teach us about real freedom and liberty for us to be able to understand and therefore to live it. Until then, it's foggy. I thought I was going to have a good illustration about freezing fog and all that this morning because they started saying that yesterday morning. I should have known better when the weatherman projects 24 hours in advance in the state of Oklahoma. It's not usually highly accurate, and I'm getting old enough I should have learned that by now but I actually saw a little bit of fog this morning on the way to church uh, I had some black ice right on my driveway and I thought oh, I gotta be careful going over to church because you know that's dangerous stuff and uh, there was plenty of runoff and plenty of snow runoff between my house and here and I thought well I'll be careful but I'm going where's this freezing fog you know, I was kind of looking forward to it. Because you don't see freezing fog very often. And I thought, well, I, that'll be good to see some freezing fog. And I'm coming down 10th Street over here south of the lake. And there comes the fog. You see it rising up out of the meadows, kind of like the great pumpkin. Anyway, it was, it was right. And I'm waiting for this to start s smashing on my windshield and all this. Never happened at all. I get over here, everything's clean and nice. But see, the interesting thing about fog, you really, you don't see clearly about fog. But you have to have the veil taken off, off your face. Now, what did the Jews have over their heads at the time of the Exodus? They had a veil put over their eyes. They didn't even want to see the Lord. He came down on the mountain. Moses went and talked to him. And he came back and said, Moses, Moses, you need to talk to him. Tell us what he said. We don't want to hear from him anymore. And so Moses came down from the mountain getting a glimpse from the Lord with his head lit up like a Christmas tree. And they said, put a bag over it. Put a veil over your head. 
there Moses that's what you need to do we can't look on that that glory well see that's kind of the way we're born in this new birth and we've still got this veil what's freedom all about I've heard I'm free in Christ what does that mean does that mean you're free to do just any old thing you want to do you are but not without consequences that's where the that's where the world steps in and says if you have consequences it's not really freedom at all and that's where the world twists and distorts it but this freedom is unveiled by the Holy Spirit it's only lived by the process of sanctification now it's only lived by the process of sanctification Romans 6 and verse 17 uh, is where it starts this is Paul's great discourse on the sin nature starting at the end of chapter 5 going through chapter 7 and he says but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed now a lot of pastors have misused that passage uh, that form of teaching to which you were committed and um, they've said well it's got to go with a certain type of format of presentation and all that there's a lot of different ways to learn the word of God some ways I think are better than others but became obedient to the form of teaching how did Paul teach well Paul taught from the Old Testament he was a Jew he understood the Old Testament a lot uh, there was no New Testament until Paul and others started to write it. So that form of teaching is bringing the, what went on in the Old Testament, bringing it into the, into the New Testament. And he says, and having been freed from sin, he speaks of this in the past tense. I, I run into people, commentaries, that think Romans 6 and 7 is, is uh, for unbelievers and not believers. And that... that uh, Paul here is writing uh, as though he was an unbeliever. No, Paul is writing as a believer. Having been freed from sin, something happened in the past. He was set free. In chapter 8, we're going to see the, law, the, the uh, freedom from the law of sin and death. We've been set free from that. He says, you became slaves of righteousness. Now, he can't be writing to unbelievers because unbelievers aren't slaves of righteousness. Okay. For I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Sanctification means to be set apart, to be made holy. Peter calls us to be holy as he is holy. That is, he quotes the Old Testament brings it into the New Testament. That's what sanctification is about. And isn't the way he presented this a choice? So you were these slaves, but now present yourself. That means you have to make a decision to do that as slaves to righteousness. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the outcome of these things, these sins is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, how? By choice. You derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. He's speaking there of the inheritance of eternal life. 
the outcoming, not that you have gained it, not that you have moved into it, not that you have worked your way into it. Because where does this issue of salvation by grace through faith, where is it, is it more, most clearly presented in Scripture? Romans 3 and 4. So in the contextual flow, when we get to 6, let's not forget what Paul wrote in Romans 3, 4, and 5 about salvation by grace through faith. So don't get to chapter 6 and start twisting it around and adding works back into it. Because he's just said, clearly, it's not of a, not a works. And then, in case you get it mixed up, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's only lived by the process of sanctification. You become holy. No, more, no longer sins to the, uh, slaves to the sin nature. Pursuing our own desires and lust and everything else that goes along with it. In other words, it's, it's leaving the past behind. Paul writes about it again in Philippians 3. I forget what lies behind. I press on to what lies ahead. You know, we look back to our lives... There's some stuff back in there, I'm sure, with all of us that we're not proud of. It's just the way it is. Decisions we made, bad decisions we made, people we hurt, there's some things that, that, that have gone on we're just not proud of. But you know, there's also some good things. Everybody's, everybody's life has got some good things that they've done in it somewhere. But what did Paul say in Philippians 3? You need to leave it all behind right you can rest on your laurels and never do anything else good again we're not supposed to quit in this life we're supposed to keep on doing good let us not grow weary it says in doing good whenever we do hebrews 12:3 consider him who endured such hostility by the hands of sinners so you don't grow weary and lose heart Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 talking about how to he said I box and not beating the air and he says lest after I preached others I too be disqualified from what? Receiving a crown. He said I want you to receive a crown. I want you to get everything that God has for you to get and that you know that's the attitude we should have toward other people and that's the way we ought to live our lives to be sanctified not to be holier than now in fact in the second session one of the one of the uh, I'm, I, how do I say most interesting sections of the scripture I can't really do that because they're all really interesting but how do you go in there and you go I really like this chapter <laughs> because we're going to start Matthew 23 today I really like this chapter. And it's a lead-in to the Olivet Discourse when he pulls four disciples up the mountain and he gives them prophetic things. It's part of the contextual flow that we're, we'll be establishing. Now, true freedom is designed to serve others and not just oneself. And that's what a lot of people miss. We know from 2 Timothy 3, in the last days men will be lovers of self. They'll be narcissists. That's the way we identify this. And it's at the top of the list of about 18 things in the last days. Lovers of self, lovers of money, and on and on. Disobedient to parents. But see, true freedom is designed to serve others and not just oneself. Galatians 5.13 
It says, for you were called to freedom, brethren. You remember 5.1, right? It's coming up down here. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Okay, but 5.13, you know, people could take that verse and go, oh, wow, I have to throw off, throw off all the chains of this life. This is freedom from legalism that he's talking about in the contextual flow of the book of Galatians, from adding things to the Word of God and making them standards of uh, spirituality. He says, You are called a freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Now, see, some people would look at that and go, That contradicts itself. I mean, a, a worldly person is going to look at that and go, That's contradictory. Because you've, you've got freedom, but how can you take this, how can you take this uh, freedom and not use it as an opportunity for the flesh? Isn't it an opportunity from the flesh to be free? can be. See, this whole chapter in Galatians 5 is about how to use your, your freedom, and we could actually do uh, classes on that. He says, but through love serve one another. Real freedom. The freedom given from Christ is not designed just so we can serve ourselves. It is designed so we can serve other people. And if we lose sight of that fact, then that is a problem. See, because the sin nature is selfish, inherently selfish. It wants things its way. It wants them how it, want, how it wants them, when it wants them. It wants things to go just exactly the way that it wants things to go. Some people say, well, God could be an unbeliever and not sin, but you're living in sin. And they say, well, I can do good to other people. You can. Uh, around Christmas time, it's amazing how many secular operations go in to do good to people. And the end result is so they'll feel good about themselves. That's on the television all around Christmas time. Well, we're giving coats or whatever. It's great to give coats to kids. It's great to give food to the hungry. It's great to do it, but you don't do it to draw attention to yourself so you'll feel good about yourself. That's not what it's designed to do. It is designed we serve others in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ so he gets the glory and the credit. And we don't do it to be seen by people. That's part of Matthew 23. It's the early part of that chapter we're going to see, see today. Is about d doing things just to be seen by people. And some people do good things because they found out that's the best way to cope with this world. They just, well, I'm going to do something good for you so I'll feel good about myself today. We don't do good to feel good about ourselves. That's the wrong goal to go with it because how long is it going to last not very long it's just not going to do it it's designed to serve others true freedom is to be used not just known about from James chapter 1 verse 25 first book of the New Testament written by the half brother of the Lord wonderful passage it says one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty. What's perfect about it? If the Lord sets you free, you are free indeed. That's a perfect law. And abides by it. Okay? You're free to do the things that are pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. 
not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man shall be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What he's saying is you have the freedom to evangelize. You have the freedom to help those who are in need. And you don't do this to be seen by men. We're comparing scripture with scripture. You don't do it to receive the kudos and the credit and all that. You do it because it is the right thing to do. True freedom is responsible before God. From James chapter 2. Which says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty, the law of freedom. For judgment will be merciless to one who shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, we can be real thankful about that, can't we? Because if it wasn't for the mercy of God, then none of us would be here. We'd all be gone. So it's responsible before God. So you think maybe one of the things when we stand in front of the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ might be how did you use this freedom you had? How did you use it? I've used the illustration before in the past that, you know, it's kind of like here we are in prison. We're all enslaved to the sin nature. And what if, what if the president, and I'm not picking out any president by name on this okay some of them might have actually done it most of them probably wouldn't have anyway the president decided he would change clothes and he would go into this prison and he would go visit death row because he looked just like anybody else and he told people who he was I'm the president. I have the power to pardon. Now, see these doors? These doors, if, you, if, if you'll put your trust in me, then I'm the president. I can pardon. And not only that, I'm going to do something else. You know, you're on death row. I'm going to take your place. I'm going to take your place. I'm going to face the execution that is due and deserved by you. I'll take your place. But you know what you got to do? You got to have faith in me. And then you need to get up and walk out of this prison. That's what the Lord did. Exact same thing. Put on the clothes of a carpenter. Came and walked among men. He did good. Two people performed miracles. Did things only God could do. And he said... Whosoever believes in me will not perish, but have ever, everlasting life. You abide in my word, you're truly disciples of mine. You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And you know what the sad thing is? A lot of people just sit there in prison because they don't believe it. And the doors are open. Some Christians get saved. They put their faith in him, and they never walk out of the prison. We need to walk out of the prison. And we need to do that which is pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. How do we use it? We still there, enslaved to the sin nature, or are we going to use it to honor Him? True freedom is not to be used as a covering 
for evil. From 1 Peter chapter 2, here's our word freedom once again. 1 Peter chapter 2, act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bondservants of God. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the king. Now, what, what a, that's a great passage, isn't it? Didn't Peter just go, honor all men? Why? Because they're all made in the image of God, too. Why would you do that? James chapter 1 talks about the same thing. They're made in the image of God. Why would you hate, hate your neighbor? Actually, James 3 talks about that. But why would you, why would you hate your brother? Because they're made in the image of God, just like you. Are, are they sinful? Oh, yeah, so are you. <laughs> Honor them. Part of Christians and part of, and when we move into uh, husband-wife relationship, family relationship, there are some principles taught throughout the New Testament especially, and one of them is honor one another. Honor one another. Now, honor all men. Love the brotherhood. You've got to take care of family first. That's what it's saying. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Have an outright respect for him. And honor the king. Respect the authorities that have been established by God. Don't use it as a covering for evil. True freedom is counterfeited by false teachers. And they're really good at it. From 2 Peter chapter 2. We move over a book. Move into the second chapter. He's talking about false teachers. And in particular, some of those who rise up in the last days. In 2 Peter 2, 1, he talks about those who have even denied the master who bought them. That's a very interesting passage because the occult... How do they deal with Jesus? They say that Jesus is a man who ascended to Godhood. That's what the occult says about Jesus. In their hierarchy, they have Satan, the solar Lagos. They have 12 Boganavitas, or they come out of the Hindu religion. There's a council of 12, with the solar Lagos being the 13th that is there. Right below them, they have the 70 ascended masters. The ascended masters are those who have supposedly become demon-possessed. They have ascended to a higher form, a higher level of spirituality, and they're 70 ascended masters. Where do they put Jesus in the 70 ascended masters? That's where they place him. Why? They've got, to, they've got to recognize that he existed, that he's there. But notice what it says, even denying the master who bought them. They don't believe that he was a redeemer. They don't believe that he was sinless. They don't believe any of that. They believe that he was a man who ascended to godhood, became God. And uh, that's part of the occult hierarchy. And so he is talking about them. Now, are they present today? Very much so. Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. Then it moves farther into the prophecy of 2 Peter 2, 
speaking out arrogant words of vanity. These false teachers entice by fleshly desires. By sensuality. There's a cult called the Children of God that Ray was raised up in the 60s and 70s. They had a giant uh, conglomerate meeting down in Houston one time, and um, I was running a hotel down there at the time, and they came in and said, hey, we're, we work with kids on drugs and all this other stuff. Can you kind of help us out a bit? Well, I, I comped a couple of rooms for them so they could stay and do that. We actually had the leader, Moses David was his name. We had the leader stay there in the hotel, and they made a mistake because it's uh, and as goofy as I was back then, they made a mistake and actually gave me some of their literature. Now, I comped a room a couple times before they actually showed up for this big convention. They gave me some literature, and I went through the literature, and I went, this is wacky. One of the things that if you reach salvation, you'll be able to stand in front of a group of people without any clothes on. It was a sex cult is all it was. That was the, the design on it, I guess. And see, they go back to Adam and Eve in the garden, and they were naked and not ashamed and all that. And it's just a massive twisting of, of things. But this, was, this happened a long time ago. They enticed by sensuality. Those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he's enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are entangled in them again. He's talking about believers getting trapped here. They've escaped, and now they get entrapped again. And they're overcome. The last state for them is worse than the first. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. It's happened according to the true proverb. A dog returns to its own vomit. And a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. Well, they say, like putting lipstick on a pig. It's not going to stay there very long. But it's counterfeited. True freedom is counterfeited. So discernment is needed to be able to understand what is real freedom and what is not. What is anarchy? They want to throw off. It's interesting. We have groups today running through the streets trying to burn down buildings, trying to gain freedom. And what do they do? They set up these little areas, these little protected areas, and what are their totalitarian governments inside of those protected, so-called protected areas, those little cities that they have set aside and pulled aside from various cities around our country. And, that, and promising them what? freedom what do they do enticed by fleshly desires fame fortune power and pleasure but they themselves are slaves of corruption they want you to leave another authority and fall under their authority that's all they're after power it's counterfeited by false teachers in Galatians 5 1 it's to be Sought, we should want it. We should want to live it. We should want to explore it. And fought for. Galatians 5.1 You have to fight to keep it. 
It's been said by some of our, our presidents in the past that, that we're just a gener generation away in the United States from losing freedom. We are. And um, we're actually at a crossroads right now, which I know all of you are aware of. We're at a serious crossroads. Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom, the cause of freedom, the purpose of freedom. The purpose of what now we learn? Spiritual freedom that has responsibility. It is not lawless. It follows the laws of God and is accountable. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, so what do you do with this? Keep standing firm. Stand firm. That's the... Uh, what he uses in Ephesians, the same uh, type of thing, uh, the call of the Roman soldier. You got six feet of ground that you would need to be willing to die to protect. Keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Don't fall back into legalism. Don't fall under laws that should never be. There is one lawgiver. Seemed like I read that somewhere. And that's the Lord God himself. It's to be sought and fought for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for all your grace, your love. We thank you for your amazing word. We thank you for the privilege of being able to come together in this country. And Father, we pray for this country. We pray in accordance with 1 Timothy 2 that we'll be able to live a tranquil and peaceful life. But Father, we also pray that we'll be willing to stand firm and uh, stand firm against the forces of darkness, and the forces of evil, and the things that oppose your word and your son. Father, we pray that we'll have the courage and the, and the gumption and the wisdom to be able to, do, to know what to do and then to do it. Father, we do pray for the strength that comes only from the Holy Spirit. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.